Welcome to the Binge Your Bum podcast with Ellen Sherman and Gillian Gordon. Hello there. Welcome. Welcome to Binge or Bomb. I'm Ellen Sherman. Hi, and I'm Gillian Gordon, and this is episode 25. Today we have a guest, which is very nice, uh, the, the very talented and gifted screenwriter Alex Sokolow, who wrote famously Toy Story, among uh, his other credits. And we're looking forward to talking to him about what he loves uh, in the streaming universe. So today we're going to be doing a series from England called The Sixth Commandment, which is a, well, I was going to say it's horrific, but it's, I think it's pretty fabulous, but it's based on a series of uh, pretty dark events that happened. And Nada, which is from Argentina. Coming up, The Sixth Commandment from England and on Amazon. The Sixth Commandment is a four-episode uh, serial or miniseries, as we used to call it. I know what we call it now, but do you know your Ten Commandments? The Six is perhaps the most famous. It rhymes, a creepy disembodied voice tells us at the beginning, with thou shalt not thrill. Set. In the sleepy village of Maids Moreton in Buckinghamshire, England, the Sixth Commandment tells the true story of a retired Stowe schoolmaster. And Stowe is a, a private prep school in the UK, one of the best. And his name was Peter Farquhar. And he's played by Timothy Spall. Timothy Spall, unrecognizably thin and absolutely fabulous in this. And it's about also his neighbor, Anne Moore Martin, played by the wonderful Anne Reed. So one after the other, they are befriended by a young church warden called Ben Field. He's played by Anna Hardwick. Ben is a devout, charming, terribly attractive young man who makes himself indispensable in their lives. The Timothy Spall character finally comes out of the closet and takes vows to marry, to wed a Ben. And after Spall dies, Ben moves in with neighbor Anne, who also falls in love with him. And not surprisingly, both change their wills to make Ben the main beneficiary. Uh -huh. And we then watch as the police and the families of both the Timothy Spall character and the Anne Reed character are in investigate and discover and eventually trap Ben. Captured in a really realistic style, we, we watch this story unfold learning bit by bit what Ben is up to. I mean, we don't we don't know at first. We think, wow, he's good looking. He's kind of sexy. He's kind of great. Oh, isn't it wonderful that this poor schoolmaster who's always been in the closet is finally finding a young man who loves him and cares for him and he can come out of the closet. But then you realize what's going on and it is really creepy and frightening as we observe really intelligent, but elderly people succumb to Ben. He subjects them to repeated poisonings and various forms of mental torture for no other reason than for sport. And it's really a study in the power of faith and loneliness, you know, and this sort of vulnerability. And this is what he preys on. The performances are really exceptional. It's also blessed by outstanding writing and direction, and balancing this sort of incredible performances that we see from Timothy Spall and, and Anne Reed is the performance 
of Hardwick, who is outstanding, I think, too. And I think a, a lesser actor would have made him a bit too kind of slimy, creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil characters can be just, you know, as one note and boring as the good characters. But Hardwick manages to infuse Ben with such a disconcerting blend of calculation, charm, and quiet, and almost this sort of hidden glee in the harm that he inflicts, that it's really impossible to look away. But I think it's a must-see. It goes from showing the relationships and the way that he inveigles himself into these people's lives to a trial. I got, I was sort of less interested in the trial. Yeah. And I hope it is a fitting memorial to Peter Farquhar and Anne Moore Martin, who really obviously were just really good, de- decent people. What fascinated me, and of course that that was when my antenna went up, was when this gorgeous young man, because he what he does is because these are these are two academics that he's targeting, is that he gets into the life of the mind with them. You know, they're not stupid enough to believe that he's not going to walk in there and fall in love with them on based on physicality. But he, you know, he kind of worms his way into their mind. He, even um Farquhar apparently uh, dedicated his third book to him. I think the thing that we learn, which is compelling too, is that through Farquhar, who kept detailed diaries. Yes, right. And as he was being poisoned and gaslit and thinking he was losing his mind, he kept a very careful record. And I thought that his performance, the guy that plays Ben, I thought he was unbelievable. He wasn't oozing all over them, but he was he was erotic. He was sensual in his way. And what was creepier was that, I hope that this is not true, but the, I can't imagine they would have put this detail in it were it not that he took sort of pornographic photos of poor dear Anne Moore Martin. When he actually is on trial, he he really is the perfect socio, socio-psychopath. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because there's no remorse. No. And, and it's funny because I was reading something about him. Apparently his, he had an ex-girlfriend and there were, I think his brother commented, all of them said that his whole life, he was like that. He was merciless. He had absolutely no scruples that he had no, you know, he had no sense of empathy. One colonel I thought was priceless was that he gave the eulogy at Peter Farquhar's memorial at his funeral. Yeah. But I think the thing is that he feigns empathy. He knows how to act all of this stuff. Right. So he's a consummate performer. What do you think? I must see a definite binge. And I, I really hope people watch it because I think it was great. And you? I, I think it is definitely a binge. And I hope you can find it. And now, Nada. Nada is a 2023 series from Argentina, and it's only five parts, so it's a pretty easy watch. And in Nada, Manuel, played by an Argentinian star, Luis Brandoni, is a restaurant critic. And he's, you know, middle-aged or getting up there, probably, you know, maybe in his 60s. And he's an author as well. And he lives in an enormous house in Buenos Aires. He is the quintessential bon vivant. He lives to enjoy good wine, good food, good conversation, surrounded by, you know, friends who feel the same. But he does have to work. He is not independently wealthy. As we open the series, his publisher is waiting for his next book, and he has a big problem, Manuel. He is big-time writer's block. Plus, Manuel is a man who feels the ordinary little requirements of life are beneath him, things like paying bills or balancing his checkbook. So when we first encounter him, he's in a personal and financial crisis. 
And by the way, the story is told through the voiceover of a fellow bon vivant, an old friend of Manuel's, who turns out to be played by Robert De Niro, and who, for me, strikes the only really wrong note in the series, but more on that later. As Nada opens, we experience Manuel's great dinner parties and the fabulous meals he eats at cafes. We see that he's totally self-centered, a bit obnoxious, and leads a well-ordered life, which is possible, really, because he has a devoted domestic who cooks for him and caters to his every whim, and then she drops dead. His life changes when he replaces her with Antonia, a young, somewhat naive Paraguayan girl. And it becomes something of an odd rom-com, but luckily there is no hint of a May-December relationship. What does happen is that Antonia's unspoiled, no-nonsense view of life is just, it turns out, what the aging Manuel needs to start altering his own view of what's really important. We watch, for instance, in one scene where at a dinner party, the petulant Manuel insults an old friend. They decide to sever the friendship. But the next day, now under Antonio's insightful influence, Manuel realizes how important his friends are to him and he reignites the relationship. Eventually, Manuel is inspired to finish his book in part by Antonia and how well she takes care of him. And we leave Manuel a changed man, now valuing people over the things that he had treasured. The series is almost worth it for the stunning shots of Buenos Aires and the depiction of the cooking and eating of a variety of almost obscenely gorgeous dishes. At the start, I found Manuel the character a bit over-the-top pretentious, but his growth and, and, and real gradual change was, to me, believable. The new maid, Antonia, is likable. I think the actress is really lovely, and she hits just the right note as the perfect foil for the egotistical Manuel. And it's also, I mean, he's a bit racist, isn't he, bit because she's an indigenous person from yes. Paraguay, and so he kind of, you know, he's a bit sort of snobby about her. her so he's a bit of a bigot on top of everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then also, then Bobby De Niro turns up. Oh, wait. Well, hello. I mean, for, it turns out that he and Brandoni, the actor, are, are good mates. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that was where I my hair went on fire. I thought he was <laughs> horrible. If he hadn't been named Robert De Niro, I would have thought to myself, who does this guy think he is? And when is somebody going to teach him to act? He was awkward. He was stilted. He felt self-conscious in the way he delivered the voiceover. He just, it was bad acting. I thought he was- Well, have you seen The Killers of the Flower Moon? No. Is he not good in that? No. You're kidding. Really, he's terrible in that too. Yeah, he he just phones it in. Since he and Brand, uh, Brandoni are friends, clearly he got a free trip to Argentina, and I'm sure they had a high old time together, you know, going from one bar to the next. Yeah. This was not a tough part. He did, you know, he only had to kind of be natural and be himself, and clearly that's impossible for him. Uh, that was the only sour note. I did find this charming. I mean, you know, it was kind yeah. of like a trifle. What do you think? Well, it's called nada. Yeah, well, yeah, and it is. It it really is nothing. And no, I'm not saying that in a mean sort of way. I'm saying it really. It's about nothing. It's about a guy who gets up and thinks about who he's going to eat, and then somebody kind of like does his laundry, and then nothing really happens. And he kind of goes out in the car every now and then. Who would we recommend it to? Who is the audience for this? Yeah. Well, old people. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you're a foodie. You know, every single episode has some at least two or three great meals that you see cooked or eaten. So, you know, that per, that might be increase the audience. 
Yeah, no, but I think it's beautifully done. You know, there's lovely neighborhoods in Buenos Aires and you see the way he lives. It was enough to keep me going, I guess. So what would you say? I'm on the fence about this one. I think this is a very select audience for it, but I think I'm on the fence. And you? Well, I'd say it's a binge, but you know, it it is called nada. So really it is about nothing in a kind of postmodernist sort of way. I think that's okay. Next up, we're going to be interviewing Alex Sokolow, who is an American screenwriter and an Academy Award nominee for his work on Toy Story and has also worked on such projects as Cheaper by the Dozen and Money Talks. He's also a director and producer, and he now resides on Long Island South Fork. So, So, Alex, what are you doing these days? Are you still writing? And Like, writing is a terminal career. Currently, uh, I'm writing a little animated project out of Germany. uh, You're also teaching, right? Yeah, I'm I'm teaching at NYU also. My default in Los Angeles for a lot of years was no. Like, somebody would say, you want to do something? Like, no, I can't. There was always a reason to not. And when I moved back east, I I just kind of said, you know, I'm going to change that to yes. And let's just see what happens. And it's gotten me involved in a lot of interesting things, including NYU. It was an opportunity. I'm like, let's do it. Also, um, finishing my third, uh, producing my third documentary with a documentarian. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, like I would never have done it if I was still in L.A. So I do that stuff while I'm still like whoring about in Hollywood and trying to like not want to strangle anybody. You know what we've been doing? I do. And I'm still curious as to, it's such an interesting lane, like to talk about streaming series and especially things that are not uh, from this country. So what are you watching? I'm sure I'm like everybody else. I have very odd and unique viewing habits. And like I love love Bad Sisters last year. Oh, yes. That was such a, a revelation. And, and I found myself hanging on it and my emotions changing about who I thought was good and who I thought was bad. And, and ultimately, even if the screenwriter brain in me was like trying to predict solutions or whatever, or outcomes, I was just like really taken with it. And And the theme song was amazing. Yeah. The theme song, but also the performances. And and I love the first season of slow horses. Um, Gary Oldman's one of the actors and performers who um, he's just earned a special place where if he's doing something, I want to check it out. And, the storytelling, the pacing, and then even the tension that was kind of brewing there in that first season for me was just captivating and and uh, and just loved it. Interesting because it's sort of sort of subtly jo- uh, genre breaking too. It isn't it isn't a thriller. It isn't. It, mm-hmm. it, it's always fascinating to come across a, a series that you don't know and then it's really trying to do something with the the, the genre it's not doing the formulaic kind of oh this is oh yeah this is yeah this is i know i know what i'm watching and the american brain is like how they get this made you know and then it's like <laughs> right. oh, my gosh, maybe there's like government uh subsidies you know <laughs> Wait, what about any non-english speaking have you have well, I, I I watched the first season of Lupin. I I did watch it dubbed, which was a mistake. And then I went into the the French with the subtitles. And to be honest, I enjoyed it. I I, I like that actor, and so oh. I was like, oh, I'll watch him and see what he's doing. It it didn't move all of the check all the boxes for me, but it was it was enjoyable. Yeah, and I was I was a big Peaky Blinders guy. I mean, I yeah. I love 
series. Um, again, over the course of the seasons, it became formulaic in a way mm. that just felt soap opera-ish. But the first year or two was um, was stunning, you know, as far as how it was shot and what they were trying to show. And and then I actually followed, I think it was the, the same writer-producer. Karen Madabeck. Yeah, did he do Taboo that was on FX here? Um uh, I could be wrong about that, but there was one, one season. Tom, Tom Hardy starred in it, and it was set in London. And like, the, oh yeah, Lillehammer was was another show that I enjoyed. Um, really? That was like the first streaming show I ever watched. Oh really? Yeah. I wrote and helped out on a, a little movie out of Sweden about six years ago, and so I spent enough time in Stockholm and in Sweden where I kind of fell in love with it a little bit, and so. I like that part of the world and I find the storytelling to also kind of just be paced a little differently and a little bit more sardonic and a little bit more like existential in some, you know, cliched way maybe, but like for me, it's, it, it's, it's, it's ruminative, right? I'm probably more limited series attention span yeah, sure. um, and, and just the way that life seems to, to unfold for me. It's like, give me a good, four episodes or five episodes or something. And, and I become obsessive. It's like reading a good book. You know, I love Irish cinema. I'll fall into watching something just based on that. Like just again. Did you see Dairy Girls? Yes. And and so I have a, um, my eldest uh, is, was a big Dairy Girls fan. And, and he, um, he turned me on to it. And again, like what a, what a, what a, a fun and bizarre little series, right? But one of the things that I try and impart when I teach is that there's no such thing as a good or bad idea. There's just good or bad writing. The college kids that I interact with or have interacted with, they're trying to create the perfect idea. And I'm like, you literally can write about anything, but if you're, if you're good at it, it's going to be interesting. Dairy Girls fits into that. Like it's like ah, oh, feel like it's something that you've seen. But no, I do think though, and again, not not to be overly critical, but I think one of the unfortunate trends for me has been that there are some series that you almost feel like they're stretching the storytelling just to get that you know that extra one or two episodes. All the light we cannot see felt like that to me, and I know again oh, I was yes. American. But it just felt like, oh, this would have been a really great two episode uh, experience instead of it's four, you know. Well, I, I read the book and it would have been the book should have been by half, you know, so it's sort of they re it reflected one of the problems for the book, I believe. The other thing is we don't have the kind of budgets in in, in Europe that that yeah. people have in America. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, it, it maybe it's a great thing. I you know, So uh, without without naming the names, uh Two of my buddies have been showrunners on various American shows, and they described something which I had never thought of until I heard it. And they had, they had a show on, and uh, they said that one of the things they don't tell you is that when you get to the fourth season, which is supposed to be success in television, that it became much harder to produce a good show because of all the money being take off, taken off the top by the performers and whoever else. And so all of a sudden you had less money, but the expectations from the audience was to be better. And I was like, wow, I never would have thought that there was that paradox. Yeah. And 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 I also do think, yes, less money forces invention. I remember hearing Vince uh, Gillian, Gillian uh, talking about um, Breaking Bad. He had a scene that he wanted to do and then was told there was no money. So he did a different scene. I had just seen the episode and the scene he did 
one of the characters fell into a porta potty and he's like, that's all we can afford, right? It's <laughs> like that one bit. But it was so memorable because it was so unexpected, right? <laughs> you know, it was an actual porta potty that they found. Exactly, right? Like, this is what we can afford. This is what we're doing. You know, one of the, the the shows that we reviewed that's on the show this show um, is called Nada, which is is kind of a weird Argentinian. I wouldn't say 100 percent successful, but we quite liked it, didn't we, Ellen? Um, yeah, except for the fact, the uh, except for me, the abysmal performance. Bobby did throw. Of an actor formerly known as Bobby De Niro, it was just shocking how bad he was. He, he really yeah. I've I've not written anything that he has uh, that he has populated, but I did write <laughs> something he was supposed to be in. And when he actually said no, I'm like, wait, he actually says no to anything. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. So, what any any holiday viewing? What would be a fun series for 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 the the upcoming holidays that we have to endure. I'm by and large a, a movie buff, and so I'm going to fill my holidays with probably. Uh, I was just thinking uh, of, of rewatching Rocky, and then also rewatching On the Waterfront, and like those, they have nothing in common, but they were both like I haven't seen those in a while. I like to watch them again. My favorite movie of all time is is a Buster Keaton called Sherlock Jr. And, and it was the movie he made in 1924, and um, Woody Allen ripped it off in Purple Rose of Cairo, uh, where Buster yeah. Keaton Buster Keaton jumps onto the movie screen. He plays a projectionist who also wants to be a private eye, and in his very comic setup, is accused of stealing from a, a, a potential paramour's father, and he returns to the movie theater. Buster Keaton, depressed, falls asleep while the movie's running and then jumps onto the screen and solves the crime in various movies that are on the screen. I made notes. And so I have so many things to now watch. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, I am, too. I am, too. I'm, I'm, I've got my list, too. I'm going to be watching A Wonderful Life because I always watch that. Jimmy Stewart. A friend of mine, Mary Lambert, the wonderful director, has has got a show on Netflix, a film on Netflix called Best Christmas Ever. I'm also cannot resist watching Bing Crosby's 1954 film, White Christmas. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's with Danny Kaye and Rosemary Clooney. Corny, corny, corny. I also will be watching a Charlie Brown Christmas because my oh, grandchildren are coming. How about you? I'm going to be sort of a traditionalist as well. Uh, I love A Christmas Story, which is that wonderful 70s. I, oh, no, I think it's 83. It was written by Gene Shepard, who was a radio personality and writer and transitioned into writing this wonderful film, which is about a family and set in the 40s. And having a rather quirky Christmas. I mean, it looks like a very typical all-American family. And it centers around the little boy who only wants a like a, a rifle, which is kind of a strange thing to now think about, but only wants like a BB gun for Christmas. And of course, his parents, even in that point, don't want him to have it. It's very funny. It's it's adorable. Well, Gene uh, Shepard was one of the great, you know, kind of essayists and comedians of his time. Mm-hmm. Also, Home for Christmas, which was that great Norwegian series. That's I I recommend that too. Great idea, great idea. So, people who haven't seen this, it's Home for Christmas. It's set in this adorable little town in Norway. Feels shamefully from love. Actually, it's a series though, which is Mm -hmm. kind of fun too. Yeah. But what's where? Where can people find it? 
Uh, it's on Netflix, I do believe. And uh, the lovely thing about it is that it's a it's a very short series. And it's about a family, about a 32-year-old single woman. And the pressure's on her to get married on herself, on herself by her family, but on herself by herself of trying to find somebody. And uh, it's it's just quite sweet. And it's funny, it does take the piss out of love actually in the first scene, which is <laughs> which which endeared it to me because my third my third thing that I would have watched, uh, urge everybody to watch is indeed love actually. For me, can't go wrong with love actually, right? It's all really, you know, I mean. Charming. And there's nothing like that moment where you grant dances, oh. imitating risky business. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. And, you know, and brings this a little mistiness to my eye when you see Alan Rickman and how wonderful he is oh, in, yeah. in that, in that, uh, in that movie. There is a lot to watch. A lot of interesting new series. We're going to be coming up with Lessons in Chemistry was one that I has a kind of, it's actually something you can watch with a family you know, mom, dads, right. kids, and teenagers, and granny, you know. But we'll be talking about that last, next week, won't we? Well, next time we are going to be doing Lessons in Chemistry, and we're going to be doing a very uh, different kind of series called 30 Coins. But we will have... It's something. a Spanish series, right? Yes. It's a Spanish series, very different, horror, supernatural, adventure, all sorts of things. But we have a special aspect of our show. Gillian, tell us who we're going to have as an interviewee. We'll be interviewing the costume designer for Lessons in Chemistry, Marin Gordon Crozier. We are wishing you pre-Christmas holiday wishes. Best wishes for the holiday season and, and a little bit of peace. Please go to Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you've listened to podcasts. Check out our website at bingerbomb.com. And let's talk about it next week. <laughs>